Greetings from Las Vegas for Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. No company capitalized on the pandemic-driven explosion in telehealth more than Teladoc, whose late 2020 acquisition of Lavongo for more than $18 billion was a digital health deal of all time. It hasn't been all downhill from there, but it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing either. Today's guest, Teladoc Health, Jason Gorovic, is here to explain it all. Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy, and now a top five healthcare podcast. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. Jason, welcome. And, and, and to, to give a little bit more context to what I think is the early innings of telemedicine, regardless of what my, my, my colleague and, 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 and my combatant David thinks, maybe start with like, how did you get to Teladoc? You know, we worked together a little bit early on in our careers in managed care and saw some of the good and the bad of healthcare. How'd you end up with technology and, and telemedicine? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's great to be here at Health and uh, and with you guys. So, John, as you remember, I was like a fresh out of college kid and somebody handed me a book and said, hey, check out this nurse line demand management. Like, you know, can we really get people to reach out for care rather than just running to the emergency room? And that was the beginning of it. It was the mid 90s. And we built the first nurse advice line at Oxford Health Plans when we worked together. And you were much more senior than me and, you know, teaching me the ropes. And so I appreciate that. And uh, and over the course of we were kind of just making it up. Truthfully, we had a great idea and you were exceptional at kind of grabbing it and owning it and bu- building up something that really our patients really loved. It's one of the reasons the Oxford brand still matters, even though it's been absorbed under the the big United mountain of United and Opto. Well, that's certainly true. And then I took five years out of healthcare to do technology-oriented startup stuff. So I left, I did a mail.com startup. I started my own thing in the jewelry industry and e-marketplace for the jewelry industry. But ultimately, I came back to healthcare because it was more meaningful. There were more intellectual challenges And I felt like I really needed to make a bigger difference. And when I was at Empire Blue Cross Blue Shield, we launched Relay Health, the first e-visits platform. It was a miserable failure. And I learned from both of those experiences. And so when it was... Relay was kind of a crapper. It just did not do well. That was bad. And it was not the Relay Health that was the financial rails that McKesson bought. This was the one that that didn't make any progress. The only thing McKesson kept was the name. Yes, and so, you know, uh, over the course of the years, I, I came to a crossroads and I had the opportunity in 2009 to either go to another big health plan or start at something really small and really promising, but a lot more promise than reality. And that was Teladoc. And like, you know, 13 years later, here I am. So how big was Teladoc when you started there? They were doing $4 million in revenue. It was the middle of 2009 terrible economic environment. And I had to go out and raise capital because we were in $2 million of debt to our Series B investor. And so, you know, it was a far cry from what it was today. I just said on the stage here at Health that we were doing 700 virtual visits a month at the time. We just celebrated our 50 millionth visit. Yeah. Just saw that announced today. I think it took you until 2015 to get to 1 million. And then a lot of these 50 million, something like two thirds of them are just in the last year or so. Is that right? That's exactly right. All of those doctors completely welcoming, particularly in Texas, <laughs> where, where, where Jason, not, not unlike pharmacy benefit management or value-based care, 
you had to actually break through a lot of barriers of custom and regulation in order to even have access to patients and plans. We won in court eight times against the Texas Medical Board, right? The last time was a federal antitrust suit where we got an injunction from a federal judge that cleared so the way for our of, IPO you know, Technology in involved a lot of law, policy, and so on. There's just been an election, and I've been told by a good source that elections have consequences. What are the consequences for the industry based on this, on this latest election? I don't think we're going to see seismic change uh, for virtual care. I think the the reality is that virtual care has been embraced by both sides of the aisle. Everyone realizes that it's a better way to get care. We're opening up access to care for people who weren't getting it otherwise. And there's universal support for that. We serve everything from Fortune 50 companies and commercial plans down to uh, exchange and Medicaid, uh, manage Medicaid and Medicare Advantage plans. So this is really not a partisan issue. Uh, and I think you will see the sunsetting of some of the regulations or the or the hiatus uh, on certain regulations. And some of those are going to be good. You know, the suspension of. Well, just yeah, just so have people have context, Jason, that there were a lot of payment regulatory and other barriers that actually made it very hard to pay for virtual care because. A, docs didn't want to be displaced. Health plans didn't want to pay twice. And there were also, there are also, I think there still are specific state regulatory idiosyncrasies, which is a different way of saying barriers to leveraging technology to provide clinical advice. That's absolutely true. And we've always lived in that environment, right? Like that's not new for us. And so we built a, a system and a platform that assumes that. I think what's been challenging for the industry is you've seen some companies make their business on jumping through some of the loopholes of regulations that have been suspended. And that's just not a sustainable model. And during the public health emergency, which I guess is going to still be extended for a bit, uh, that all of those regulations, including at a federal and state level, sort of had to stand back because there was an enormous need to scale up which could only have been achieved through telemedicine, tele televisits, that kind of clinical care, because we had much more demand than supply. You aren't worried about that those restrictions coming back and sort of restricting the industry? Again, we've always operated in that environment. And what we're seeing is that, so I'll, I'll give you an example. Primary 360, our virtual primary care offering, 60% of the people who engage with our P360 product, haven't seen a doctor in over two years. So there's universal support for wanting to engage consumers who have been disenfranchised by the healthcare system. One in four people who were treating for cardiometabolic disease are newly diagnosed by primary 360. They would have gone undiagnosed and we would have ended up with a train wreck rather than somebody who were catching early and treating for those cardiometabolic conditions. So a lot of people think about teledoc, they may just still think about sort of video visits, but you put a lot of different pieces together and you just mentioned uh, one on the 360 side on primary care. What are the different components and how do they fit together? So the vision was always whole person virtual care. We couldn't say that at the beginning because all we were doing was treating people for flu symptoms and sinus infections and sore throats. But the vision was always be the front door for people and take care of the whole person, not just whatever they're presenting with at that moment. 
And so it includes everything from episodic care to chronic conditions, everything from mental health to physical health, and expert second opinions for people who are living with really serious illness, but have been wandering through the healthcare system and not getting the care that they need. So you're sitting next to the most acquisitive man in American healthcare, man, woman, child. Well, that used to be Jason, by the way, <laughs> just to be clear. Well, I just, I know we're just here at the present moment. Uh, stay, stay focused in the present, John. Trying. So hard. You're distracting me. Is Teladoc for sale? Uh, I tell talks for sale every day because it's in the public market, but Jason would have more to say about that than me. And I think that the public markets have been a little bit tough on you recently, Jason. You want to you want to speak to that? The public markets have been tough on everybody recently. So, you know, we're not alone in that. Uh, I'm not sure. I guess misery loves company. I'm not sure that I love the misery. Um, look, the, the truth is we're focused on the long term. We're just scratching the surface on what is possible for virtual care. And so we're going to keep focused on how we can deliver the most value for consumers, for clients that we serve, uh, and move the needle on cost of care and health outcomes. And 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 then the context here is you've got a lot of doctors who want to retire, a lot of doctors and nurses and you know advanced practitioners all kind of feeling a little burnt out from this. And how how do you at this moment sort of enable? The, whether it's health systems, pharmacies, doc practices to kind of deal with the fact that we've got so many people turning 65, the baby boom generation's hitting, all most of whom are going to end up some form of chronic condition. We're going to have a, 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 a demand mismatch between chronic care management and just the amount of people we have. How can you help solve that problem? So I'll give you two sides of that equation. When I talk to hospital administrators and health systems, their biggest concern is the nursing shortage and the cost, uh, the wage inflation in nursing. We're launching a product now, and we just actually uh, launched with our first client on a major scale for what we call inpatient connected care, where we allow virtual nursing through. Can you say who that client is? I don't think so. So, uh, So virtual nursing into the room through the TV in a two-way fashion that leverages the power of technology to enable the scalability of a scarce workforce. On the other side of that, we're hiring doctors because we've always been a 1099 environment, right? Independent contractors. But when you move into longitudinal chronic condition management and primary care, you want people who are working for you doing it every day. We have waiting lists of physicians who want to join our workforce. Why would they want to work for you? <laughs> well, I don't know about me personally. I'm not sure anybody really wants to work for me personally, but uh, but I will say we offer them a better quality of life, right? We, are, we offer them the ability to work from home. They're not being beaten up in a physical setting. They're not managing a workforce in their offices. They're not working for the man. Like it's a very different environment. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that that we're finding the same thing at CareCentrics, where if you can give nurses a better quality of life, you can actually have them work really hard. I keep seeing Liz Fowler walk back and forth, the head of CMMI, and I'm wondering whether we want to get any regulatory relief for telemedicine right looking, now. She's looking for innovation. She's going to have to look elsewhere, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, actually, she's do, she's actually been a great partner in the through the private sector. Um, but Jason, t- tell me a little bit about, so where do you go from here to scale the business? Because you've actually, agri- I mean, how many acquisitions have you done in the last five? I don't know, uh, eight, something like that. Yeah, a lot. And so you now have a platform that could go a lot of different directions. 
what is the path to scale for Teladoc? Because I, I do think the only way we solve the demand mismatch is through, and, and not just through Teladoc, through other tech-enabled players who understand how, how disconnected but connected the system needs to be. Yeah, so I say this with reluctance because I've heard value-based care for so many years in healthcare. We're talking about a 92, 93, 94. <laughs> right, that it's like now become a, a bad word, right? It's a dirty word in healthcare because it's, 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 it's um, associated with so much skepticism, but we're actually leaning into that. We're leaning into really putting all of our fees at risk for the clinical outcomes that we drive and the cost reductions that we drive. And as a result of that, I think we're going to be bringing the entire suite of those solutions, David, that you uh, mentioned to our populations. And we're not selling one product at a time anymore. We're selling the entire suite of solutions. Well, that's it for yet another episode of Care Talk coming to you today from Las Vegas, Care Talk's third annual HLTH conference interview series. We've been speaking today with Teladoc Health CEO, Jason Gorovic. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the president of Walgreens Health. If you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe on your favorite service. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Thanks for having me, guys.